We've got another episode free of any coronavirus talk for you today, all recorded before any of this came down. So uh, enjoy the lack of coronavirus. Good morning, marketers, and welcome to the If You Market podcast. We are the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. If You Market is brought to you by Mountaintop Data and Joto PR. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy, and today we'll be talking with Morgan Kling. Uh, he's the CEO of Clout HQ, and we're talking about the organic influencer marketing. Uh, Morgan skipped college to found Clout HQ, and they're a influencer marketing platform, I guess I'd say, Morgan. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I was really interested. We're a data company ourselves, Mountaintop Data, and you guys have a platform where people can go and search for these influencers, which is kind of fascinating slightly addictive to just be searching for keywords and seeing people's the profiles and the info and the stats on them and and whatnot it almost seems like a weird millennial version of baseball cards or something <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> most people are super surprised them. if yeah. you could print them out people might start collecting oh i've got so and so when they had this many twitter followers <laughs> that's a good idea <laughs> they got stats on them and everything uh yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah it was really interesting to look over the site see what you guys had to offer. Your product is mostly a kind of a consumer focused product, right? Yeah. So businesses use it basically to find and connect with influencers to promote their products. Um, so the majority of the influencers that are on there, uh, catering to a, like a consumer audience, just normal people that follow them because you know, they're interested in whatever the, that person's hobbies are. Uh, and then we do have some people that are uh, direct to like a business audience, but mm -hmm. uh, the vast majority is, is to consumers. Right. A lot of, uh, kind of a consumer marketing products, lifestyle type stuff, what you would think of when you think influencers. Right. But there is a business to business side of influencing. A lot of, just for the audience, a lot of what we're going to be talking about, um, uh, Morgan and I today, will be consumer influencers. Now, these things all apply to business as well, and we'll make business references whenever, whenever possible. It's just so heavily weighted on the consumer side, I think, and their site is just so naturally full of consumer stuff that uh, please don't send us angry tweets. You know what? We like receiving tweets, even angry ones. Go ahead and do it. Um, uh, if, if we had talked too much consumer influencer stuff today. Um, so again, and also we're going to be talking about your website a lot and your business a lot. It's just the, the nature of it for this one. Typically we kind of stay away of what the, uh, what the guest does, but again, fascinated with your site, running some searches on there for to see, oh, these influencers, those just for business in general, who are the people? What are their, what are their specs again? What are their baseball stats on these, on these guys? Very interesting. I guess it right off the bat, um, maybe finish listening to the episode, but uh, check out uh, clouthq.com is just kind of fun to, to run some searches and see what's there for the topic today though, organic influencer marketing, you sell access to influencers basically right? Basically, you yep. sell the info on it. It's my company sells data just on contacts to market to in general. Um, so I totally understand the business, but in your own business, you don't, you haven't used influencer marketing. Now you're B2B. So there isn't as many influencers, I suppose, but you've used more, I guess I say, you have, it's not that you haven't used, you haven't paid for it. You've used more organic influencer marketing, right. which is what we're talking about today. So can you just kind of jump in and speak to that a little bit. How does that work? What have you done? And, and what does that mean, organic influencer marketing? For sure. Yeah. So first, just uh, a little bit of backstory and why Cloud HQ, 
CloudHQ came to fruition in the first place, um, I used to be running a lot of campaigns for different brands to work with influencers. So they would come, come to me and task me with managing a budget for them to work with those influencers. Uh, and I found that the point of most friction in the very beginning was just finding the influencers. Uh, and I found myself on Google like a million times just typing in giant list of influencers, like free database of influencers. And there was nothing out there that I could use for it. Um, and so I had a database that I was using internally anyways. Um, and I started uh, basically building like internal software and tools to help manage these campaigns. And then the developer that I was using just happened to mention like, you know, if you were to create a software behind this, I'm sure people would want to pay for it. And I said, that's a great idea. Right, like, right. let's do it. Let's, let's uh, create We can something. put some HTML tags around this and put it online. Then you can search it from anywhere. In fact, anybody yeah. could. Yeah, I wish it was that easy. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he made it sound that easy. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, so and yeah, then he sent you the bill and you were like, that wasn't that easy, huh? Right. Yeah. And then the, the headache that comes along with, with managing a software as a service for, uh, yeah. for the time after that. But um, yeah, I, I basically created that because I saw a need that I was having and, and a lot of other people that I was talking to were having a need for finding influencers and then reaching out to them and connecting with them. Um, at the time, a lot of people were still doing like free product for for posts on people's social media pages and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Like you could still get by just reaching out and saying like, Hey, we'd love for you to review our product and post it on your Instagram page. Right. I'll give um, you some sneakers if you'll post about my sneakers kind of a thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean that, that was working for a little while and then influencers started to wise up a little bit, realize that it's mostly a compensation game. Right. Um, I'm worth more than that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're just going to throw product at me. Like I'm not a, product or influencer i need money <laughs> yeah <laughs> we might have to bleep that one <laughs> yeah so yeah i mean when when i first started the industry was in a very uh new and infantile place it wasn't uh it wasn't nearly as big as as it is now i think at the time it's like 2.9 billion dollars uh was the total spend in this space and now it's somewhere like 8.4 8.5 billion dollars um and the need for organic influencers hasn't slowed down at all i think people are starting to realize like if you can have an influencer that has a really loyal following and very credible audience promote your brand and have a face attached to your brand. Uh, it just adds so much value to how people perceive your company, how they perceive your products, like your customer experience, things like that. Because at the end of the day, like people want to join a movement, like they want to join something that feels like it's bigger than just like whatever the product that they're purchasing is. Um, and that's kind of why I fell, fell in love with influencer marketing is because I realized like you could basically rent the the name and credibility of somebody else by paying them for a post on, on social media. And you can still do that organically, but for the most part, it's, it's usually uh, like a paid post or like you're, you're compensating them in, in some form or another. Right. Right. And I know in the B2B space, there are a lot of paid influencers. They typically do it a little different and the consumer, it can just be like, Hey, we want you to start talking about our sports drink we're going to give you this money and you're going to tweet this many times or whatever it is. Right. And they just get, Paid and then, hey, I love this drink. And people know it's just like a TV commercial. Right. B2B seems a little more like the influencer reputation is more earned within the niche, I guess I'd say. It's not just popularity. It's when you look at the B2B influencers, they're influencers because they are respected within their space. So I feel like it's probably a lot more difficult to get a B2B influencer to, you know, just hand them a suitcase of money and say, hawk our wares. Mm -hmm. They're going to be like, well, this is going to be my whole career if your product sucks. Yeah. Um, so I can't do that. They're almost more likely to push your wares if they just like it, if it's the, um, you know, the natural, the organic influencer. But there are many BDB influencers that that's their business. They get paid to do this or that's kind of a side thing for them. They, they do get paid to go and speak for certain products and to 
um, promote those products and whatnot. I think it's just a little bit different, uh, different of a space because of that professional danger. Um, you, you, they can't just hawk aware and maintain their influencer status. It's a smaller space. Everybody knows everybody almost maybe. Yeah. You're absolutely um, right. I mean, the, the business influencers have so much more to lose if they, you know, if they push a product that turns out to be sketchy or scammy or something like that, like they have a lot more to use. And a lot of times these, these business influencers are also relying on their own influence to grow like their core business. A lot of times right. it's not like their main revenue channel. So it's probably um, how they became an influencer as opposed to an Instagram model yeah. that that was their point was to they weren't getting paid to model typically and then saying hey why don't i start influencing it right. was kind of like this is what i'm going to do i'm going to i don't just have to be a socialite anymore now i can you know travel around and get paid for it as an influencer because yeah. people want to follow me on instagram or whatever mm -hmm. um so there's i guess there's that issue on the bdp side to to overcome the the issue of it's not their primary thing um but it is still there. Your site doesn't have a ton of B2B influencers. I'm, I'm thinking there's no reason it couldn't though. There's no reason it's, it just hasn't caught on. It's the consumer side is where it is. Do you allow people to create their own profile within your, your database or do you guys have to add them? Yeah, so the cool thing about CloudHQ is it's actually all curated by brands. Um, we have a Chrome extension that you can download it. It's at, uh, I think, cloudhq.com slash tool. And basically what it is, it's like an Instagram audit tool. If you wanted to see like how many average comments somebody gets on their account or something like that. Um, and anytime a profile is scanned, it gets added to the database. So like if you were a brand and you were browsing through B2B influencers, like rather than copying and pasting them to like a Google doc or something like that, um, you could just audit those, those people's profiles and then they're automatically added to the database. And then if, if they have an email in their, uh, in their bio or on their account, that's automatically added to the database. Uh, and if not, we have uh, systems that go out and look for those emails to add them as well. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So the, uh, for instance, so some top B2B influencers, you've got, um, let's see, uh, Larry Kim, Rand, uh, uh Fishkin, uh, Neil Patel and Handley is a huge one. Those people wouldn't have to go to your site and create a profile. Anybody interested in pursuing them as, as an influencer for their product could have them added to your site just by going and scanning, um, their social profiles. Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. Ah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, so if you're listening and you want to do more influencer stuff, go ahead and go to the site um, and build your, just like when you first started building, you know, you had your spreadsheet of influencers. We have a spreadsheet of influencers here. We yeah. might help you out with this B2B site. Be <laughs> awesome. Just come to your site and, uh, and, and build that out for you. And uh, yeah, you can build out your own list. You don't just have to use what's there. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Again, I don't want to just focus on, on the product and your product too much, but that's, that's great. Let's get back to the organic B2B and your experience kind of. So you were looking to start this site. You had people that you knew. You wanted to reach out. Um, how, does that process, how does that process go for you? Does it just kind of happen? Was it, are there key things that you needed to actively do? Is it stalking influencers and hoping they'll be your friend and then just mention you? It's a little bit of both. I think, um, I mean, going back to the B2B side, like in that case, it's best to build a relationship, like reach out like fairly uh, specifically to that person and, you know, start a conversation that's relating to, to whatever it is that they're doing and, you know, roll the conversation into asking them for a collaboration or something like that. Um, when it comes to like products, reaching out to influencers at this point, most influencers are aware that brands see commercial value in working with them. 
Uh, and so most influencers have their email in their bio or they have some sort of contact information or they accept collaboration opportunities. So in that case, it's just about reaching out with a message that's persuasive enough to get them to reply. Um, because at the end of the day, like a lot of these influencers are getting a ton of collaboration opportunities anyways. Um, and so to stand out, like it's difficult if you're like a generic Shopify store and you're reaching out to have influencers promote your products. Um, and so like in that case, like you need to find a unique way to um, reach out with a message that could pull like an emotional string or something like that. You know, like if you have a, a company that's donating 10% of proceeds to um, feed people in Africa, like that should be part of your front facing message. Um, if you have a company that is serving a um, market of people that are struggling with like digestive issues or like back pain or something like if it's a CBD product or something like that, it's really just about finding a way that you can get them to relate to what you're doing and see it as more than just like a promotion opportunity. Um, I guess you have to provide value, right? Right. And exactly. traditionally that's money. If you have no other value to give, you better have money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but if you, uh, it occurs to me, um, we do a Toys for Tots giveaway uh, every Christmas. That one's not quite as easy to key in on for an influencer. Let's say we regularly donated to an animal shelter, something like that. Mm -hmm. We might, or let's say we didn't, but we found an influencer and we said, you know what? They seem to really love puppies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then we could say, well, we need to start regularly donating to animal shelter and then reach out to them. And this is starting to sound really manipulative now. Um, and then reach out to them and say, hey, we noticed you also have this interest. We'd love to do something with you. Then you're on the personal side rather than on the business side and look to make a connection other than, I mean, it keeps coming back to the value and you're talking about organic. If there's something organic there, great. But if not, you can always just pay an influencer too. Right. And I, I don't know if I would, I don't know if I would start donating just for the sake of finding and working with influencers. Um, but I think like what it all comes back to is influencers. And I, I know this is going to sound totally out of this world, but influencers are people too. Like they have a normal yeah. life, you know, they go hang out with their family on Christmas and holidays and stuff. And they want to be able to talk about things that they're working on that are exciting. Like when their grandma asks them, like, what do you, what have you been up to? Like, what's this whole social media thing? Like they, they want to have something to talk about and they want to have something that they can share um, that proves that what they're doing is worthwhile past just right. having like a bunch of followers and posting like swimsuit pictures and stuff. So if you can find a way to say like, yeah, I, I'm working with this brand that's, um, you know, saving trees and, uh, in the Amazon rainforest, or I'm working with this brand that's helping, uh, 10,000 uh, elderly people a month relieve their back pain or their joint pain using CBD products or something like that. Um, being able to do stuff like that. And then like, if you can bring them on as like a creative role, like if they're able to contribute like some, some creative aspects to your campaigns, your branding or marketing or something like that. Like a lot of the influencers are just seeking, um, some meaning past the cash. Like a lot of these people are already getting paid a lot of money. So like a $500 PayPal payment's not going to like change their month or anything like that. But if, if you can show them like, Hey, your post, like you wouldn't believe that your post generated 500 sales. And now we're going to donate like double this for every one product you sold, we're going to donate one product to somebody in need or like an underprivileged person or something like that. Like that's the thing that is that they're going to remember, not the $500 PayPal payment that's probably spent on a dinner before you even have the, have the analytics on the post. It sounds like you're saying make them feel less cheap for selling their influence um, <laughs> by having them give it away for purpose. Um, so, Rather than the manipulative thing that I had mentioned, and I wrote down, don't try to manipulate a relationship. Seems like an important thing with influencers because like a celebrity, they probably have their radar on all the time with people trying to 
come to them, oh, you like this sports team? Me too. Why don't you promote my product for free? Uh, <laughs> it's Same probably action. a turnoff. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so it, it seems, you know, rather than saying this person likes, you know, saving puppies, let's start donating to puppies and then look to manipulate them. You would say, hey, we are already into this whole saving puppies things. And that's been who we are from the start. Let's go find an influencer that has that shared interest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you can find common ground, that's the easiest way. Like you need to show them that you're, you're seeing the collaboration from the same perspective as, as they are, because oftentimes it's like complete opposite sides of the spectrum. Like the brand wants to pay somebody to make them money and the influencer wants to get paid so they can make somebody else money. But if you can show some similarity of like common, uh, ground of like why you're doing what you're doing and like what the objective of the post is like everything. It seems to be like a, uh, like a lubricant for the conversation. It just makes it significantly easier and, and more, um, more natural. Like they kind of let their guard down because they know like, okay, this is the objective. Like the $500 payment is going to be really cool. But like the objective is to share this product with this, this type of audience because of whatever, like the solution right. that you're There's still you're the business in. side, but then there's the, let's focus on this aspect, the, 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 the non-money fun aspect. Yeah. Um, and especially in B2B, I guess, I mean, again, when we talk about really these people's reputation and um, their whole career is based on it, it's a professional career. If, if you come in trying to uh, um, manipulate them in some way or something like that, they're just going to be so much more sensitive to that weird sleazy feeling factor, I guess I'd say. Okay, so I'm going to change gears here a little bit something I wrote down that I thought, you know, I, I better ask you about this. The whole fire festival thing. There was a lot of influencer stuff in there. We're going to the consumer side. Do you have any strong thoughts on what happened with influencers and influencer marketing in that? Well, they did a fantastic job utilizing those influencers. Uh, it's just unfortunate. They didn't have any um, real strategy for how to put on a festival or anything like that. I think, um, I mean, it was kind of overblown because influencers are still seen as like this weird thing in like this online space that everybody's spending so much time in. Uh, and they're easy to poke at, like they're easy to poke fun at uh, for right. posting bathing suit pictures and things like that. So I think it, it probably got more coverage than it would have. It, honestly, it, like they got more coverage because the festival didn't work than if the festival oh, yeah. would have worked. Well, I think the influencer is nice buzzword too for the mm -hmm. media. It's like, oh, this hip young thing, influencers. These guys get paid a bunch of money to, yeah, again, stand, go stand on a cliff in their bathing suit, and yeah. uh, <laughs> and they and they're getting paid a lot of money. So, uh, yeah, everybody likes it when um, when the beautiful people fail. Right. It's, <laughs> it's like it's like poking a beehive almost, and it's like yeah. with influencers too. So it's almost like hornets or something like wasps because mm -hmm. they have so much popularity and people listening so they know like okay if we po yeah. poke fun at these like maybe we can spin up like a controversy and people will start talking about it more then they'll pay um, attention to us right. so in that way aren't they kind of using the influencers without their permission for attention 100 <laughs> percent. yeah <laughs> definitely wow wow they're trolling the influencers to get some of the influence on them yeah it's a classic Interesting. <laughs> is that considered an organic uh, way to okay Purely hypothetically, well, maybe even not. In practice, let's say there's an influencer whose positions on within your space you strongly disagree with. Does it make sense to uh, engage that influencer? You're basically getting their influence audience is what you're interested in, right? Their audience seeing, seeing you. To engage that influencer in a way 
to basically poke the beehive to get their audience to see because if you poke you know if you poke that influencer because they're on one side of the argument and you're on another and that influencer starts interacting with you well now you got their audience through agitation is is that a model that people could pursue with that i guess i'd say specific niche of not just to irritate somebody like not to be an a-hole but because you actually have a position that's that's opposed to their position Mm -hmm. i think it depends how you look at it on one hand if you look at it from like a personal perspective like if you don't need to start an altercation with somebody, like it obviously doesn't make sense. Like you should be focused on yourself uh, from a marketing and branding play. Like there's, there's plenty of examples of like press storms and like how you can get like a scoop to get picked up by like all the publications and stuff like that. And I mean, there's plenty of examples of people that have used that as like their main um, champion to grow into like mega celebrities and, and stuff like that. Celebrities getting beefs all the time. And we all wonder, is that real? Are they doing it for the attention or yeah. somebody that's not very well known starts a beef with somebody who is, and right. suddenly they're well known because yeah. now all of Taylor Swift's people are know your name. And now all the news people pick it up because so I don't know, it seems like it could be effective, but in, again, in the business world, there's less opportunity for that because the personal aspect isn't quite there. Yeah. Um, You've got to tread super lightly. I mean, like you have to, you can't just go out and like start beefs with people because then you're just going to kind of turn into an asshole. And then, sorry, I don't yeah. know if we're allowed to swear. No, on no, that, you but, can, yeah, that's our tagline is shit. So, okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, shit. You can market the shit out of it. That's the tagline. Right there. <laughs> got it. Yeah. I mean, you, you can, uh, you can start altercations with people for the promotional aspects of it. Um, it's interesting being in the marketing space because I'm constantly surrounded by like the top level marketers that know like all the most cutting edge strategies and things like that. And you'll see like half of the time it's a legitimate beef where you're like, okay, I know these two guys don't like each other because of whatever like this incident was. And it's usually like, usually the actual incident never comes out because it makes them both look bad. And then there's the other half of the time where it's like, I was just like talking to both of you like two weeks ago. I know you're friends. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, what is this beef that you're starting here? Um, but I mean, it really works. And, and if you are, um, if you can create a strategy around it that makes both sides look decent and not like tear down each other's character and stuff like that, um, there's definitely opportunities to utilize that type of, um, controversy or like uh, press storm in, in social media or in, on like news outlets. But I guess in that example, they have to be collaborating with you for that. So it's like having a friendly bout with somebody, a friendly match. They have to agree to the friendly match versus well, you just <laughs> jumping them and saying, hey, yeah. <laughs> I Only don't like sometimes. what you're doing. Yeah, sometimes if you know the other person well enough, usually you can provoke them. And like if they're, I don't know, the, the marketing industry is so funny because it seems like people have like am, uh, short-term amnesia or something. Like they forget conversations they had, you know, two weeks ago or something. So you can you can like start these controversies. And like, I think if you're doing it in all fun, like, you would know if somebody's really going after somebody because they'll just like drop exactly what you should know about this person. They'll be like, well, in this case, like I know somebody that, you know, this type of deal completely fell through and like they ran away with this much money or something like that. But usually if it's like all in fun, if it, you know, if they're just poking fun at each other, um, I, I've yet to see anybody like ruin their reputation in the industry by just kind of being a, um, what's the word, like kind of risque and uh, out there with their trolling them a little bit. I mean, it's in the B2B space. If my PR company came to me and said, hey, you know what I think is a good idea? Why don't you go after Gary Vee on Twitter? Well, that would be a terrible idea. 
Um, so trolling in the B2B space to say this, this person has a large following for a reason. Again, it's not just bikini photos and, and stuff like that. It's, they have a large following because they have stuff to say and real value that they're giving out in the business space. Um, so it, it seems like trying to attack their position on something would be a really bad idea if you don't have a really good reason for it. Yeah. And then there's times it works out pretty well. Like uh, Grant Cardone and Jordan Belfort were a good example of that. Like at one point, the story goes that Grant Cardone didn't know anything about Jordan Belfort, which I don't know, I find hard to believe because he's like the biggest movie of, for entrepreneurs at, at, uh, whenever it came out. Um, but he was saying like negative stuff about Jordan Belfort saying like, oh, I don't even know who that guy is, blah, blah, blah. And they actually turned out to be like kind of buddies after a while. Like now they've done a podcast together, like they talk to each other and stuff like that. So Grant being this provocateur that he is at times, um, starts name dropping people and like giving like little slights, knowing that Jordan's audience is going to come back and comment on all, yeah. all of his it's, posts. It's to, like, great to name drop with the name drop being, I don't know this person. Yeah. Here's their name. Now, please, people start interacting with me. About yeah. It. Yeah. That's hard to believe. Yeah. It's like fi- <laughs> right. just fishing, uh-huh. fishing out who there. Who are for, you? Uh, yeah. The yeah. fake, I don't even know who you are, man. That's how cool I am. Yeah. <laughs> like, who? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, um, Interesting one. Yeah, I'd say just say be very careful and actually have something of value to say um, if you're going to interact with a business influencer um, in a non-positive, not pre-planned with them type of way. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, if you want to WWE it and they're in, they're up for it, then uh, <laughs> I guess have at it. You can have some some friendly uh, interactions with people. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can either throw like dummy grenades at people, or you can just drop like nuclear bombs on them. And uh, <laughs> I I think the only safe way to do it is is doing the dummy grenades because you like you need to make sure you have an out. If if they come back to you and they're like, well, look at like these fifty things, uh, having an out I think is probably a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Finish off every tweet with "haha, just kidding," uh, <laughs> which becomes not kidding really quick when you just do that on everything. I guess if you're going to troll Gary V, maybe just send messages to him where every word is replaced with an f bomb. Yeah, like like you're doing a being John Malkovich version of uh, of uh, find and replace Gary V uh, talk. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, I want to take a quick break. A lot more to do when we get back. Be right back. The If You Market podcast is brought to you by Mountaintop Data. And at Mountaintop Data, we're all about data for B2B marketing. Our goal is to improve the quality, depth, and coverage of our clients' targeted marketing data while removing the technical pain of accessing and implementing data. We help with everything from new target contacts to appending and cleaning existing data, all with the goal to free you and your team up to focus on creating great marketing experiences. Check us out online at mountaintopdata.com and sign up for our new top data search tool, and get free access to search our database of over 30 million business contacts. Use the code hashtag IYM when signing up and get 200 free credits. Welcome back to the If You Market Podcast. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy. Today we have Morgan Kling, the CEO of Clout HQ, on to talk about uh, influencer marketing and organic influencer marketing. Um, Morgan, quick question for you. Influencer marketing always has a feel to me. Um, or I guess not always, but sometimes I feel like there's some crossover between multi-level marketing and influencer marketing, mm-hmm. between kind of the ickiness of the multi-level stuff and the influencer stuff. And maybe some influencers say, I want to start selling these vitamins as, and build my empire 
I'm using my, my influence. Is there something there? Or is that just a feeling that I get? You know, I think the social dynamics are kind of similar. If you look at uh, the persuasion tactics that are used in like the MLM industry and then kind of the persuasion that's happening when you use an influencer, I think that is a point of crossover where it comes to, um, I mean, you're basically finding a way to make it look like you're naturally leveraging somebody else's um, credibility or vouch for your company or your product or whatever the offering is. Uh, and I think that's probably as far as it goes, in my opinion. Um, MLM is it seems like it's mostly like old school, like, you know, there's direct response marketing that they're doing and stuff like that. But like most of the persuasion happens on a uh, very personal and in-person level. Like they do events and, you know, they'll do these four hour bus rides and stuff and like all this crazy stuff. Um, I think at least for, in my opinion, and as far as I know about the MLM industry, I think most of the crossover is probably limited to the persuasion tactics that are being used and like the social dynamics of, um, you know, the, the weight of somebody's credibility at, when they're speaking in, on a stage in front of 200 people compared to the weight of the credibility of somebody when they have a million followers on Instagram. Um, like it's just easier to sell people when you're, you're in that position. Right. Um, and Similar I think both sides are tactics. You're kind of, they're trying to sell you something almost covertly and it's set, it trips the same spidey sense maybe sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're right. both leveraging this, this credibility that they've been given or granted or, uh, and it's all weird because it, you can't measure like credibility or anything like that. Um, but I think they're both leveraging the, um, the position that they're in as being seen as like the thought leader, the, the head honcho or the person in charge. I think there's a site that tried to measure credibility for a while. They're mm -hmm. probably still there. It's never quite caught on, but, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. Good to know. I will, I will not get too creeped out and feel like they're the same, uh, they're the same thing. Um, yep. but, um, makes sense. So when, when looking for the, again, organic influencer marketing versus going to an influencer and paying for a specific campaign with them or, or whatnot, and I guess in the B2B space, frequently influencers will do something like um, be part of a piece of content. Uh, maybe they'll, they'll write the content themselves, and that's why they're an influencer maybe because they write on a certain topic. Um, so they'll be involved. You'll, you'll pay them to come and co-host your podcast, let's say. And now all of a sudden, you know, that you're getting their, uh, um, their exposure onto, onto your product that way. Um, but on the organic side, it seems like you're, you're basically looking to put in a lot of effort in order to, to see if you can get some of these influencers to give you a little bit of attention versus, versus paying them. At what point does that make sense, like company size-wise? Should large companies just say, go to these people and bring them on board for a project? Um, or, or is the organic part something that's worthwhile regardless of company size? Yeah, I think you made a perfect point with the, the Colin, Colin Kaepernick comment that you made earlier. Uh, if you're a big brand... If that was you're, off the air, by the way, for the listeners. Okay. So. <laughs> if you're somebody that has... If you're a brand that has so much credibility in basically the world. I mean, it's not even limited to like the, the shoe industry or anything like that. Um, you can basically do whatever you want. You can offer anybody anything and like chances are they're going to want to work with you because it makes them like it boosts their credibility and you have like an inverse relationship of what the norm is. Um, if you're like a really small brand and you're selling a product that's like fairly generic and there's not a lot of, um, it doesn't have any aspirational qualities to it, you're probably going to have to pay influencers from the very beginning. Like people are not going to, push your product just because you have a pretty face or like, because you have right. a nice website or something like that. Like they want, um, the, the goals of the influencer are basically to increase their credibility, 
and make more money and keep an image in the space that makes them allow allows them to keep doing what they're doing. Right. So if you say, "Hey, uh, Colin, you can you uh, sell my toothpaste those, for me uh, or something?" No, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's going to say first, ever, it's Mr. Kaepernick to you, and yeah. second, no. <laughs> what the yeah. heck? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if if you have a boring product, like you're not going to get a whole lot of response. If you have something that's like really aspirational, like there's plenty of brands that are like aspirational, like people look forward to like ordering the right. product, like saving up the money for it to come in. Like they post a, a video of it when it comes in and send it to all their friends on Snapchat, stuff like that. Like if you have a product that people are talking about, like then you have something where you can probably just give the product to somebody in exchange for a post. But if it's like just a boring product, like a Shopify store, like, um, and I don't mean to bash all of the brands that I'm sure are listening, but if you have something that's not overly unique, uh, it's going to be difficult for you to convince somebody to promote it for free. I mean, it's right. kind of like reaching out to people and just asking for money. Like that it doesn't really work. You might find what, like one person, like maybe your grandma or your mom will give you some money, but like that's at which point you're just a homeless beggar. Right. Like don't, exactly. don't. So number one in the don't call them, don't be a homeless beggar. Yeah. We covered a couple don'ts earlier as well, but yeah. Uh, yeah. So if you go to Tom Cruise and you say, I'm, I'm coming up with my own version of Crocs. <laughs> I, you, they're pretty cool. Can you wear them yeah. for me? He's going to, have his security people beat you up. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, speaking of don'ts, is there anything else? I mean, we covered some stuff on this. Are, are there any particular things, um, like just little details to make sure you do or don't do when when reaching out to or working with influencers? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, one of the funny things about the industry three years ago versus the industry now is three years ago, it's totally normal to call influencers entitled and selfish and not deserving of money or anything like that. I think the, the most important thing to do is realize that the influencers have real commercial value and it's been proven several times over at this point. So I would say just don't reach out being um, rude or like, don't, don't be entitled. Like don't reach right. out and be entitled <laughs> because you think the other person is entitled because right. it's really you doing, doing the main. I mean, I guess aspect. back in the day, the only people who had the, you had, you had like your Paris Hiltons and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And the other people were celebrities and you couldn't reach out to them and say, push my product. Mm -hmm. then once they celebrities start doing commercials and like, Oh man, you know, maybe we can get Leonardo DiCaprio to do our Pepsi commercial mm -hmm. and, and, and whatnot. And then it becomes the norm, but it, it really did used to be either you were a celebrity and there was no way you were going to push anything because you already had your, uh, your, your kind of niche, your lane that you were in or, volume. yeah, or you were a pair, uh, a Paris Hilton, and you were an influencer because you were entitled. And that was your whole job was to go around and have people know your name for no reason. Right. Um, and it, all those have kind of merged together possibly mm -hmm. where it's people have attention. People know who they are for all different reasons. And it's kind of game on. Mm -hmm. like, yeah. I th and the volume of brand deals that are being offered has skyrocketed in the last, I mean, decade and, and especially like the last three years. But I think it's pretty much been a, like a straight up trend since social media became really mainstream. Um, so now influencers are being offered a ton of opportunities and they can be super selective about those. And I mean, you can bet they are like, they only work with companies that they see align with them in some, um, some way or another. Uh, and sometimes they align with their wallet. Um, yeah. <laughs> back in the nineties, I went to Japan and uh, there's a lot of little stories about this stuff now. And it, but back then, you never saw celebrities in commercials. And I remember seeing, watching Japanese TV. It was on and it was all, and I didn't understand what they were saying. But then you would say, oh, 
look, there's Leonardo DiCaprio standing on a beach holding some drink <laughs> and looking miserable. It's like, yeah. oh, they would go to foreign markets and mm -hmm. yes, they would. But in the U.S., their, you know, their manager probably told them, no, this will hurt your movie career because mm -hmm. you just you don't do that. You don't go on a TV show and you don't. So there was all this. You don't do these. And now it's, you know, the, the stigma is no longer there to where it'll ruin your career. It's like, no, no, right. you're totally allowed to do this as long as it's, I guess, as long as it's not something terrible. Mm -hmm. um, then, uh, then go ahead, do a, do a commercial for it. Um, okay. Let's see. I would imagine you started this site. People start using it. You were doing a lot of work for companies using influencers before that. Do you have any particular stories about, you know, someone who came and, and got an influencer home run, um, that you were producing for them, you were helping with the campaigns or through your site? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at like what a home run looks like for different companies it like, it depends how they're measuring expectations. Like you could look at the, um, some companies are spending specifically because they want to reach as many people as possible. Uh, and I've worked with companies where I was able to drive like a billion impressions in a single month for them. Uh, entertainment companies, rappers, um, like companies that were, were just trying to reach a wider audience so people would start to know their brand and, and buy into their storyline. Um, so I've done that for quite a few companies. I've never really focused on the ROI side because I, on one side, because it's really difficult to track ROI with influencer marketing. And then on the other hand, like I never requested access to their financials when it came to the campaigns we were running. It was purely engagement based and, and reach based. And then they would report back to me on their financials. Right. I mean, uh, is it almost like what you're tracking is how many new followers do they get? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, I followers is, in my opinion, mostly a vanity metric. Like it's kind of a decent benchmark to an extent. Um, but it's mostly about how many people that posts are actually reaching, like how many impressions right. you can get on a post. But if they've got a new product and they go to an influencer and they've got a hundred followers on Facebook mm -hmm. and then this influencer puts the product out and now they have 500,000 followers. I mean, obviously that was a direct, not quite so vanity. People know who they are now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it works. And there's plenty of brands that launch like that. Like movement watches is a great example Tuft and needle. Uh, Snow Teeth Whitening does a lot of celebrity um, backers to promote their products. Um, Ivory Ella is another big one. Fashion Nova, I mean, they're huge. Like they're, their numbers are just unbelievable compared to what like you would expect a brick and mortar um, chain of with you know a thousand stores to do. Um, I mean, they're outperforming most of those, and they're they're built a lot of their um, a lot of their content distribution is reliant on the influencers. Um, so they're another good example. I think like on the financial side, like one example I could give that was kind of cool. A recent thing that happened is uh, a past client of mine partnered partnered with a YouTuber and this guy had like 80,000 subscribers or something like that. He paid for a, a 20 minute video on this guy's channel. Uh, got like 22,000 views or something like that. Um, and he ended up making $140,000 in revenue. Uh, so he got way over a hundred, hundred X ROI on what he paid the person to post. Um, and like in that case, like you really can't find a better channel that you like, it's one, basically one action that you take like, okay, I'm going to negotiate with this person and he's going to post on his channel and then he's going to post the content. And then like, we're going to see what happens. Like see how big this firework can get. Um, like in Is that, that case, a one shot like, deal because you've got that influencer's audience. Now, do you need to find another influencer in the same space or could they keep doing that without too much diminishing returns with the same person? So you can either scale vertically or horizontally. If you scale vertically with like a single influencer, like in that case, he could continue to pay that person to post. And he has like, he's rolled out new product, uh, new products and he's paid him to make videos uh, about those same products. Or you can scale horizontally and you can start working with other influencers that are similar to that person's, um, that person's right. audience. And it really just comes down to like, 
how you are trying to structure your um, your journey as a brand. Like if you're, I guess like, I was saying with a with a new product, then it's a new product. I get it. But if you took the same product and had the same influencer keep promoting it, you're you're getting diminishing returns because you already got that huge return initially. That's the largest low hanging fruit of their audience that's interested in your product. Mm-hmm. And um, that happens. That happens quite often, actually. Like you can you can saturate an audience so much that they just stop listening and they they basically turn on like a mental ad blocker of all of those posts <laughs> on your profile. And there's like products you can see that's happened with too, like fidget spinners. Like that's a perfect example that everybody knows of. Like everybody was selling fidget spinners and they were making loads and loads of cash. And then one day, like the lights just turned off and nobody could sell fidget spinners. And so you- many people have like garages full of fidget yes. spinners somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I was going to be rich. Right. <laughs> Put everything into these. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we've only got a couple minutes left. Um, fraud. Is there a fraud issue uh, in influencers? I know we brought up the fire festival. That's kind of different. The festival was a fraud. The influencers did a great job, obviously, mm-hmm. um, in getting people there. But is there a such thing as influencer fraud? Are there fake influencers where people build something up or claim they have a bunch of followers they don't in order to um, make money? Absolutely. Yeah. Any Anytime there's commercial value behind something, you're always going to find people that are being completely sketchy and unethical about it. Uh, and in the influencer space, it's a, a huge problem. The last report I read was like $1.2 billion worth of the industry was all fraud. Like it was the money was basically put towards fake followers and like engagement groups and stuff like that. And I, I think that um, it's easy for influencers to get away with this stuff now because people are willing to pay. And there's so many, there's the volume of deals that's coming in. It's easy to just jump from brand to brand. And like you can join a million engagement groups in like a Telegram chat or something. And mm-hmm. uh, you can basically make yourself look like a celebrity. Uh, so this that's, isn't that's very a pitch for your service. <laughs> it's just a, we talked about this during the break. Sometimes when I'm uh, on these episodes, it'll sound like this some sort of preset infomercial type thing. <laughs> but it just occurred to me, you have the fraud in, in this space. Um, how do you prevent the fraud if you go out and find influencers? In the B2B space, it might be a little easier because you can see their pedigree. Mm. Um, I, I suppose. So that helps definitely in the BD space and the consumer space is just this person has a ton of followers. I don't know why, of course, cause that's what you know, I guess back in the day you knew Paris Hilton actually had a bunch of people paying attention because it was only a handful of them. Mm-hmm. But now there's just a million people with a billion followers and, and it's tough to say if, if they're real or not. Um, does your site have any mechanism for flagging people as fraudulent? Uh, so we don't flag people as fraudulent. That would probably start too many beefs <laughs> with other influencers, which would not be good. Um, get known but, yeah, <laughs> Come on, right, free. In, a, in a bad way. Um, but what we do do is allow people to see, uh, an influencer's growth and engagement metrics over time, which yeah. that's the best way you can see if somebody's, uh, fuzzing their numbers or, or being a little tricky with how they're growing their audience. Yeah. Um, I guess also flagging if you could, like I'd be flagging Taylor Swift as bogus right now on there just as a joke. And then it, things blow up. Yeah. And it doesn't, it basically tears the whole platform down. Nobody can trust it anymore. Yeah. I mean, it comes down to like, you have to look for uh, things that are out of place. Like you need to look at the influencers profile and, and look for things that are just not normal. Like if somebody grows 50,000 followers overnight or in like the span of a week or something, and they didn't get featured in Fox news or CNN and like they weren't featured in any huge publications, like there's probably a chance they just bought those followers. Um, so look for a uh, history. It's almost like the, uh, you know, doing a background check on somebody, you need to make sure that, that they're not a fake profile, that they're not manufactured. They have a history. You can see who they are, where they've been, what they've done, all that kind of stuff. If, right. if their history goes back two months and then they disappear, then yeah, that might be maybe not somebody to invest in. Mm-hmm. 
And, and the thing is like right now, a lot of people don't know how many tools there are to fake your audience and to fake your engagement and, and to grow followers. Like it's so common now, even for like really legitimate people just to join an engagement group because it's like the cool thing to do or because you can boost your engagement rate by 0.5% or something like that. And that it's- Real quick, engagement group. Can you talk about what that is? I don't think uh, because I'm not familiar with it. I think a lot of other people may not be either. Yeah. Yeah. So an engagement group is basically, um, so there's all these chat platforms. You have like Telegram, you have Kick, you have Facebook Messenger, Instagram groups, stuff like that. And basically what uh, influencers that are engaging in these types of activities are, which is a huge number of people are, um, is everybody joins this group and you post a link to the, like your most recent post on your profile. And then everybody else in that group is expected to go and like and comment on that, that post. And so you have a whole group of people that are posting links and it like, it's funny, like there's, it's pretty strong. Oh, so it's not a group for engaging. It's a group for faking engaging. Basically. Well, it's real engagement and that's, that's why it's <laughs> such a difficult problem to, to go against. But if everybody agrees, I will follow you. If you'll follow, everybody in this group will follow each other. So we'll all have more reach. I mean, it sounds like those groups are kind of fraudulent in their practice right and and the reason it works like if you had a group of let's say 50 of your friends that all had 500 followers or something like it it would make a little bit of a difference but not a significant difference but the difference with these is you have accounts that are like 50,000 followers 500,000 followers and when you have like if you ever had somebody that was verified on Instagram comment on your post you'll notice that it gets way more reach than any of your other posts do like it does something for the algorithm where it just boosts it and so you can imagine if you have a hundred people that are all over a hundred thousand followers liking and commenting on your posts, like the algorithm is just going wild. Like they want to push that content. Right. So they're all getting together saying, Hey, let's have a party with each other and really make sure we have more power. Right. Um, But it's it's not real engagement. Exactly. And it's a huge problem. And I, I would, I don't want to take a guess of like what the number is, but it's, it's a significant portion of uh, influencers that are using uh, sketchy engagement tactics to, to that's make their it. business is to increase their visibility though. It's almost like, so that's the steroids of influencer marketing. Mm-hmm. They're saying, even if they don't want to, in order to keep up with other people that are getting the jobs when I'm not mm-hmm. getting paid by this brand because they've done this and I haven't. So they look better than I do. Mm-hmm. So kind of everybody has to go do it then. Right. And then the, just the amount of other tools that people can use. I mean, there's so many like private, platforms that you can use to make yourself an influencer. Um, I mean, last I knew there was like two major bot networks that existed and they both had 10 million accounts, like fake accounts that they could control and uh, basically guide to do whatever. Too much money in it to make yourself an influencer. Okay. Back to the B2B space. Good news is I don't think we have that problem so much in B2B because you can track people down so much. You can go on LinkedIn and see this. Oh, this person's legit. Yes. Mm -hmm. This person has, I mean, I suppose you can create a LinkedIn profile and say you were the CEO of a bunch of companies and eh, of course I founded Microsoft and a bunch of stuff, but you can track people's bona fides down a little bit more on the, on the business side. So um, good news on the fraud side. I don't think we're seeing that on, on the, in, in the B2B influencers, you can trust that Anne Handley actually has a lot of followers, people paying attention to her and uh, Gary V and all those kind of people. I would say um, I'd, I would just add to that. It, there's a healthy mix, I would say, like anything. Like there are some influencers that I would, they certainly have an audience and they're very credible, but there are also a lot of, like when you're working with anybody in the marketing field, like they know the tricks, like they know how yep. to exactly to do it. Um, and I've actually seen quite a few people in the B2B space that have basically done the exact same thing. Um, usually it's for their personal gain, like for them to like 
sell more info products or something like that. It's not to become an influencer, but uh, it's you're usually, always gonna what if you're not um, rubbing, you're not racing or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> if you're yeah. not cheating, you're not trying. There's always gonna be a, a little of that, I guess. But versus outright fraud, mm-hmm. um, a big difference between the uh, you know deflating the ball a little bit and just completely rigging things. Right. Um, okay, we've run out of time here. I'm 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 sorry, Morgan, but uh, <laughs> very fascinating subject. A lot of great stuff. Uh, I want to get your be able to get all your information out here. Um, people want to find uh, Morgan online. Check them out on LinkedIn. Go to uh, clouthq.com, the site we were talking a little bit about at the beginning. That's that's Morgan's company. You can run searches for influencers there. And I, I'm gonna just going to say encourage everybody to go on there and add B2B influencers. Let's build up the B2B space uh, for Morgan for all of us on there and and make sure that. Uh, that these people can be easily easily found. If somebody's going to add, let's say Ann Handley, we want to make sure people can find Ann Handley on your network. Um, how are they going to do that? Can you walk us through real quick? Yeah. So if somebody's not on the platform that you want to reach out to, basically you go to their Instagram profile and you scan it with their Chrome extension. So we have this really cool Chrome extension that audits their accounts. And if you download that, anytime you scan somebody's profile, it's they add it to the database. And then anybody else can go and see that profile also. Um, so the platform is very community based. Like the, it's actually still to this day, the only public influencer database. Like you don't need an account to browse, browse through the database. I um, saw that right before the episode. Yeah. I just, Oh, I don't have to sign up. I can just click search. Boom. Yeah. Very and nice. so that, that's why I created this. Cause I was looking for somebody else to make one of those and, and nobody was making it. So um, yeah, if you want to add somebody, just scan them with the Chrome extension. That sounds like a true origin story. I've heard so many stories where it's like, I was looking to do this and I couldn't find anything good. So I started a company like, no, you didn't. That's a BS story. You, yeah. that, that's not how you guys, this is a real story. You guys started because yeah. you had a spreadsheet here and you said, let's build this out some. Yeah. Um, very cool. Okay. So you can find, uh, again, you can find Morgan on LinkedIn, go to cloud HQ, check that out. Let's build out those B2B profiles. Um, Morgan, one thing, if you could make a way where people could just submit a, um, did you say it was Instagram, mm-hmm. um, submit an Instagram handle, uh, or something on your site and it would go and, and add them. I think that would make it really much easier. And I know a lot of people do this for the consumer side, but on the B2B side for people to, uh, for people to add, um, Ad profiles. Also check out uh, Market Boost. That's your other company, right? Yep. Marketboost.biz. B-I-Z. Yep. Excellent. Uh, so marketboost.biz. And um, you can find all this in the show notes at ifyoumarket.com. Uh, please uh, share our the If You Market podcast. Uh, share us. Uh, you know what? Only one thing we want you to do. Um, go on iTunes and rate us. Rate us and review us. That's it. So give us a rating. Give us a review on iTunes. So uh, on behalf of the If You Market team and uh, Morgan Kling of Clout HQ, thank you for listening to the If You Market podcast, where we believe if you market the shit out of it with organic influencer marketing, they will come. Thanks for having me, Scott. All right, excellent.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.